episode 31. It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. Hey everybody, thanks for joining the Change Creative Podcast show. Hope you all are doing well. Happy 2017, um, lots of good stuff going on. And today we're gonna be talking to the co-founder and executive director of the Amani Institute, which is a school for social entrepreneurship. Um, and her name is Elena Rabat. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering the last name, um, but uh, she has a tremendous amount of experience um, that we wanna share and tap into. Uh, she actually grew up in, was born in Venezuela, and uh, her parents were exiled due to the dictatorship. So. Um, she learned at a young age the power of education to promote justice. Um, hence her career, which has been focused on supporting people and making a difference in the world. Uh, she was also recruited by Ashoka. If you don't know Ashoka, they're one of the primary um, organizations that support social entrepreneurship with Bill Drayton at the helm. Um, so they were. she was recruited by Ashoka's Southern Cone office as director of the Youth Venture Program. Uh, she also has a couple interesting degrees, a master's degree in uh, international studies and in peace and conflict resolution, uh, and then bachelor's degrees in international affairs and one in meditation, which is really cool. I'm a big fan of meditation. Uh, so we got a lot of exciting stuff coming up before we jump into this conversation. Uh, this uh, particular release is very special um, as this interview is part of the Ariana Huffington edition of Change Creator Magazine. Um, this is really about kicking off the new year, getting a fresh start, transforming your habits, um, all kinds of good insights in that edition, really powerful stuff. And then upcoming down the pipeline, uh, keep an eye out, we will have uh, a really special edition with Tony Robbins coming March 2017. Um, without further ado, let's jump in and get started. Hey, Ela, thanks so much for joining the Change Creator Podcast Show. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you so much, Adam, for the invite. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to chat with you guys. And, um, you know, we've been talking for a little bit and you guys are just doing amazing work. So I'm really excited to hear more about what you guys have going on and how you guys think about social entrepreneurship and why it's so important today and just maybe, you know, how some people can get involved in these types of initiatives and, and where you see the future of social entrepreneurship going. So just to, to kick it off, if you can take us back, I, you seem to have a pretty good um, amount of education and experience and, you know, looking at some of your bio information, you've been tackling social challenges for most of your life. And what were some of the biggest inspirations for you to get involved in this type of work and, and pursuing change in the world? Thanks, Adam. Wow. Well, so many questions. So I started with the first one. Um, I think that inspiration actually was at home. Uh, I was born in, in Venezuela because my family exiled Argentina because of the dictatorship. So when I grew up, I grew up in a, in a place that, yeah, my mom, my dad were talking about democracy, human rights. They actually were threatened death, had to leave from one day to another in Argentina. That's why I was born in, in Venezuela. So I, I grew up with this conscious of 
not only thinking about myself, but actually how to think about improving the world because there is a relationship between your happiness and the world's happiness. Yeah, yeah, I love so, that. Yeah, so since very young, I started working in, in social change. At the beginning, it was more in traditional NGOs, uh, more charity-oriented, human rights-oriented, then network-based. And then at the moment of my career, I pop up with uh, Ashoka that was working with this concept of social entrepreneurship. So it was the first time I hear about it and actually resonates quite well with me because I know that sometimes traditional NGOs, charity are important and extremely important for time, some type of work like human rights. But for other ones, social entrepreneurship, I thought it was a better solution. Mm. So I would say that at the beginning of my career, definitely my family and second Ashoka, Ashoka was a great inspiration for my work that I'm doing today at Amani. Yeah. Okay. And so, so when you... When you talk about charity versus social entrepreneurship, um, how do you see, I guess, just, you know, so people who are listening now really understand the differences. If I'm doing charity, I'm doing good for the world. What's the difference between that and what social entrepreneurs are doing? Well, that's a great question. And it's a big discussion, I would say, in the field. You know that social entrepreneurship is quite new. It has less than maybe 30 years as a concept. So it's still a science evolving. And you will have many different concepts. So I will answer from my point of view what I think is the difference between charity and social entrepreneurship. And I I may include a third element that is social businesses that is also quite, uh, quite known today. So I would say that starting with charity, or like I would also call traditional NGOs, is when a group of people get organized to solve a social challenge. But normally they, it's something very urgent, so they have to get organized very quickly, act. But sometimes it's not very innovative, right? Mm. So um, they see a problem, they act, uh, they have a good purpose, they have a good reason, they have a good heart, uh, they have a strategy. Sometimes it can be sustainable for years, actually. I mean, uh, so sustainability for me is not a difference between one or the other one. Yeah. Um, but what I think there are two lacking elements in a charity, it's innovation and a systemic view. Mm. There are two things that for me are very important in social uh, entrepreneurship. So what does that mean? So if you're going to start to be a social entrepreneur, and, and that's aligned with the definition that comes from Ashoka, that is the first that is starting using this concept, is that innovation is very important because if the problem is still there, even though you've been working with a charity for 30 years, something is wrong there. I mean, you have not found the, the, the real solution. And that's because you have not innovated with the solution and because maybe you're looking at a very specific problem and not in a systemic view. So I don't know, if you are talking about feeding the poor, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, and many charities do that, and that's extremely important, and, and they still need to keep doing it, because we need people that is feed, feeding the poor now. Mm-hmm. But uh, they've been doing it for 50 years. I mean, the church has been doing it for 100 years, right? Yeah, yeah. But there are still many people that need to be fed. So in that case, we need to create another solution that is more systemic view, maybe with public policy, maybe understanding the whole city perspective, or, 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 or that community perspective, to find a solution that is more systemic, and in that case, it's new. Is different, right? So, so that for me, the main difference, right? No, right. Systemic view and innovation, and, and so that's that. When you say the systemic view, you, I mean it's like saying, you know, they're not. If you're doing a charity, you're doing great work, and you're addressing an immediate problem to alleviate it, but it's very much temporary. Meaning, if you're not addressing, to your point, the actual root cause mm-hmm. of the problem, then the problem will continue, and you just kind of like 
You're just you're exactly. helping it along the way, but you're not stopping it from ever happening again because you're not tackling the actual root cause. Exactly. That's exactly. And I think that's something that comes from the Amani Institute is that, that, that we believe that you can be a social entrepreneur not only as a starting a new organization, but also at finding new solutions to problems in different sectors, even in an already existing company, in government, in foundation. So I think that's something new that we're adding uh, at Amani Institute that it's not a matter only to start a new organization from scratch, but you can be a social entrepreneur starting new solutions in already existing organizations. Yes, yeah, I mean, and, and that's, you know, not everybody, you know, has to become the founder of a company to really create mm -hmm. global or, 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 or social or environmental change, to your point, right? You can, if there's exactly. someone else already starting something that's very well established, there's nothing wrong with getting on board there and contributing, or if you're in a company already that just needs that complete pivot to become that intrapreneur, right, is what you're talking about? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that makes a big difference. Um, and, and so I guess I'm curious, just based on that feedback, if we now we talked about charities, we talked about the for-profit social entrepreneur businesses and what the difference is, what about the difference between social entrepreneurship versus what everybody is, is much more familiar with today, business entrepreneurship? Um, do you have thoughts around that? Yeah, sure. And I think that, again, it's going to be a, an answer from the Money Institute, but there are many different definitions outside there. Yeah. So from my perspective, uh, social entrepreneurship can have the form of an NGO, of a non-profit, or a form of a for-profit. Mm -hmm. And both are correct. Yes. Uh, it doesn't matter how you get organized legally and financially, as far as, from my perspective, you are innovative and have a systemic view, right? That qualified you for a social entrepreneur. Sure. In, in social entrepreneur. When we talk about social businesses, um, I feel that it's... One, you are for profit, so for sure you are you're making money out of it. I don't care if you're dividing the money among the members, like uh, Mohammed Junus is advocating, mm -hmm. or if you're getting money for yourself. For me, there is one very big difference between a traditional business and a um, social business. That is how you make decisions. When you make decisions, are you maximizing profits or are you maximizing impact? Mm. And that for me is really the key discussion that we have to, to have when we are analyzing what is a social business and what is not. Uh, so it's not about if you're making money for yourself or not. It's not about if you are reaching to the bottom of the pyramid or not. It's not about if you are having a only social impact or not, but it's how you're making decisions. Yeah. And in that decisions, when you maximize impact, sometimes you, you won't be able to maximize profit. And that's the key decision there. Yeah, well, and that, I, can, I can see how that might make it tough for some people. And, you know, I, I always think about it, too, um, is, you know, to your point, it's how you make decisions. So it's really your, if you can start from the beginning, whereas what is your intent for the business, um, that kind of just becomes the driving force for the decisions that you make, right? So mm -hmm. I guess if your intent is to solve a particular problem, um, then everything kind of, I guess, relates to that that problem which if you're trying to help people in poverty then that's going to be your your priority versus the money which should be i, I think a byproduct yeah. if you are helping people and you are being innovative and solving that problem the money should be a byproduct uh, of your efforts do you agree yeah i agree the i guess the difference is the amount of money you will get from that 
Right. So just to give you an example, I don't know, it's not the same to build a yogurt that is very nutritious and for the poor. And you can make a lot of money from that, a lot. I mean, you're serving a population that is vulnerable, but that doesn't mean that it's a social business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you are building the yogurts, you also decide to invest, uh, to hire people like women in vulnerable situation as your employees. You decide to have a, a value change that includes different uh, vulnerable groups. Then, of course, you will have less gains or, or maybe less gains, um, monetary, but definitely your impact will be higher, right? Yeah. And I think that's, again, is the key difference because many people is calling today social business to people that is selling to the bottom of the pyramid. And that's from it's not social business. Right, right. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, I, I guess I'm curious then. So, you know, with, with that being said, how how do you and how are you guys working with your students? And, and what's in, I mean, I, personally, I'm in a, a headspace where I find impacting lives very motivational, inspirational, it's fulfilling. And, you know, study after study has shown that those are really some core motivating factors, you know, doing something on your own terms, but also doing something that has a sense of fulfillment and gives back. So like those are big motivation uh, elements, you know, in addition to things like like over things like money, more so than money. But it seems like today a lot of people who want to start something, you know, you have the younger generation where they want to do meaningful work. However, they are concerned about their retirement. Are they going to have enough money for their family and all these things? So money starts becoming a priority to them. Um, and if we're talking about social businesses and, you know, can they make great money? Yes. Um, will they Will they make as much money as a, a, a business uh, entrepreneur? Maybe, maybe not. If that's the case, how do we make this? How are you guys working on that kind of perception to make this attractive saying, well, you might not make as much money, but this is the right thing to do? And I think that, uh, I mean, you're tackling a topic that is very important. And and because I think that start a social business or be a social entrepreneur also requires a change of mindset of how you see the world. Yes. And and that's important too because, I mean, I think it's a fact that you won't make as much money as you make in the private sector. But mainly not because there is not the possibility to make that money to happen, but because your values will be disaligned if you are extremely rich because you will want to invest that money in social impact too. Um, So what we are advocating is that we all want to have a good life and that's not under discussion. We all need one and we all want that. Mm -hmm. I like having vacations every year. (laughs) I like having a nice house. Uh, I mean, definitely. So that is guarantee. What is not guarantee is that being rich, right? Because you won't want it. At the end, I mean, if you're really going through a transformation and not only professional, but personal, you won't want that path. So what I said to all our fellows is that I guarantee that you can make a very good life, an extremely quality life. And not only that, but a very happy life, a very fulfillment life that uh, you will have a good life, good relationships. Uh, you will feel that you're contributing to yourself and to the world. Um, you will feel that, that you matter to someone else. Mm-hmm. that you belong to a cohort of people that is also looking forward to change the world. Um, and people is looking forward to have that. And not only the younger generation, but also people in their 40s and 50s. They've been living in this system of having all the money they want and in, in the traditional system, the, yeah, today's world. Yeah. And they are tired of that. They want something different. So, so they have discovered that money was not the key of happiness, but actually fulfillment and purpose is much aligned with happiness and money. 
Sure. Yeah. And I, I love hearing that. And I think that more and more people are, you know, coming to find truth in that. And you obviously have people like, you know, Tony Robbins and other really well-established people who do say these mm-hmm. things, you know, it's not, it's about relationships. It's about helping others. And it's, yeah. like, I think it's hard for some people to get over that mindset and, and make that shift just because, you know, in the immediate it's, well, I can't eat without money and I can't do this without money. I can't live the life that your access to of everything course. in life is based on money. So it's a hard mental hurdle to get over and, and reprioritize. Yeah. Um, and I, I, and see, I see it. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was saying that you're so right, Adam. And I think that's, that's why it's so important not to make this change alone. Because it's hard. So that's why it's nice to find groups of belonging, support networks, like the money, like people that in... Because knowing that there is an alternative and people is living an alternative life gives a lot of hope. It's not just surrounded by people totally different to you. And that's really hard if you want to change in, in that direction. So you need a new support group to do that. I like that. Yeah. And I think that's important too. So, and I've noticed too, we've, we've interviewed, uh, I've interviewed a lot of different social entrepreneurs and it always tends to include an experience through travel that kind of jarred their perspective. So to your point, the perspective shift does happen and it's usually mm-hmm. some life experience, which happens to come through travel many times, um, that jolts that perspective. Um, and then they, they just can't get that out of their mind and they start pursuing this mission, just like this guy, Kenton Lee, who made the shoes that grow, if you've heard of him. Mm-hmm. And I just talked to him and he has a wonderful story, but it was his travel and work he was doing in Nairobi, Kenya, actually, um, that gate led him to the solution that he's now um, well known for. Well, and I think that you're totally right because sometimes, it's, and as I was saying before, it's hard to change a mindset in your own context. So when you travel, you're allowed to be someone else or to rediscover yourself because you're in a different context that no one knows you, no one will judge you. Mm. So you give you the freedom to be someone different. Yeah. Um, that's why, as, as, as you know, I mean, Amani is based in Nairobi, in Sao Paulo, and next year in India, because we believe we want to give opportunity to people to step out of their comfort zones, to try to be someone different and, and to be in another context, to, to, to choose again who they want to be and what they want to do. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so, so I guess based on what we're discussing, and, and, I, and to your point, you know, social entrepreneurship is in, in the big picture, a fairly new concept that's really starting to evolve mm-hmm. more and more as each year goes by. Um, I was listening to a futurist and philosopher and, um, you know, this, is this guy, Jason Silva, and he made a video that was really interesting that said, the definition of a billionaire today is no longer to make a billion dollars, but to impact a billion lives. And he's seeing this mm. shift. And I love what he talked about because he said, essentially with technology today, and I'm just curious on your, your perspective on this. So he said, technology mm-hmm. today is allowing for people's you know, empathic, their empathy line of sight to expand beyond themselves because now they can see more of what's going on around the world. And as they see the problems and the things going on, they have stronger empathy globally, which is kind of encouraging people to want to solve problems around the world. And that's like this whole idea of now starting business that actually does those things. So I, I feel like mm-hmm. that is the, the nat- that's causing a natural evolution of more people to want to do work that actually does these things. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that you tackle into two important concepts that are technology and empathy. 
Uh, I, I'm a big fan of technology. I believe that technology can help a lot uh, in, in reaching impact faster and uh, in a larger scale. Um, but it's a tool, right? So the person behind the technology should, should be empathetic enough to use it in the right way, right? Yes. Because sometimes when we use technology, we only look at the positive impact, but we don't see what is the negative impact we are causing, right? So having that empathetic person behind technology is extremely important. And I think that the good news, we have two good news, is that technology is improving fast, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I, I've been following like the discoveries in the last five years and it's like, wow, we have a promising future in social change if we use technology, right? Mm. And then the other good news is that empathy can be taught. That before we thought that you were born with empathy or not, if your parents were caring, you were empathetic or not. But today we know that we can train and be more empathetic. Mm, yeah. So we can actually help these entrepreneurs to use technology in the best way and to be empathetic. So these two things, technology and empathy, I think are extremely important elements for the future of the world. Yeah, I agree, it makes sense. Um, and, and, and would you put compassion, I guess, right in the same bucket as empathy, just having, you know, if you, if you have that compassion or you're taught that and you grow up and you're nurtured with that type of um, sentiment or value, then, you know, obviously you're probably gonna be more inclined to you're going to be closer to this mindset that is about doing business uh, with some type of purpose behind it. Yes. So, I mean, I'm, again, there are so many differentiations, definitions about what is compassion, what is empathy. Yeah. I think that, that at the end, what is important is that, and, and I like to define empathy in, in three uh, like uh, ways, is one, you have to be empathetic to yourself. Uh, then to others and then to the world, right? So it doesn't matter how we want to call that, but I feel that all of us should be connected first to yourself. If you're not connected to yourself, you will feel pity but not empathy to other ones. Then you be you have to be able to connect with others and then you have to be able to connect to the world, to the whole, and that includes nature. Because sometimes we have a fight between technology and nature. That's why including nature in the empathy piece is important. Right, right. Um... And one of the things, just to add on to that, you, you have as your one of your core values listed on your site, well, one of them was empathy, and the other one, which I always use as a characteristic to describe a social entrepreneur, is courage. So I love to see that you guys have that there, and you know, this does take courage. It, it is kind of like yes. you said, it's a new mindset, you're probably getting super uncomfortable from you know pursuing a different model. And nine times out of 10, they're approaching an unknown market, an unknown uh, mm -hmm. initiative. And so I guess, do, would you, I guess, define that as just one of the key um, characteristics of somebody? Um, you have it as a value, but it seems like you've got to be a courageous person to yes. do that. Yes. I mean, completely. I think that the difference between being an entrepreneur in the social sector or not is to have chorus or not. Because if you don't have chorus, you're a thinker, you're a theorist, you're a philosopher mm. that I have great ideas I don't implement. So the difference between having the ideas and actually implementing and making impact and change is to have courage, for sure. It's very easy to be in your computer researching or to be talking with people about what is right or wrong or what process do you like or dislike, but it's very different to actually go and test it yourself. And uh, yeah. without courage, that won't happen. And again, there are good news. You can develop courage. And, uh, so, and I think that also courage is very personal to different people. What for me is being courageous for you may not be, right? right. So each person needs to define what is courage for you and how to become more courageous. 
Right. And we have, a, we have a concept that we work in order to develop your coverage is that we work with the concept of comfort zones, a stretch zone, and panic zone. Okay. So normally when you're in your comfort zone is when you are, yeah, in your normal daily life, you're thinking about, yeah, it would be great to start something, to make change in the world, but you're still in your comfort zone. So when, then when you start actually doing, uh, you need to go into your stretch zone. And that's uncomfortable. It's not that easy. But it's rewarding. It gives you motivation. It's a, it's a, it gives you excitement. So you need to go into the stretch zone. But you have to be careful not to go to your panic zone. <laughs> because if you go to your panic zone, you will return very fast to your comfort zone. Yeah. And it will be harder to get out again. So that's why, again, having uh, the program at Amani or a community of support helps to go step by step from your comfort zone to, to your strength, strength zone or learning zone without going into your panic zone. And that's important. Yeah, no, I love that. I love the breakdown. It helps kind of yeah. break down the psychology of somebody uh, so yeah. they, can, they can better and more comfortably say, okay, so here's my comfort zone, which we all know if you're comfortable, you're not, you're not growing as a person. You're not, you're not exactly. changing anything. And if you go, you say, call it a stretch. It's like, yeah, here's your comfort zone. Why don't you just like put your toe in the water over here and start stretching out of that a little bit. <laughs> and I see exactly. like, maybe there needs to be uh, so you have panic after that but what about people that go beyond their stretch and they're they're just breaking boundaries completely yeah and I think that's important because that's the difference between courageous or stupid right yeah and that's dangerous <laughs> because many people say like I'm tired of my job I will quit I will start a social venture but not really like with a conscious decision just out of tiredness or unhappiness right. and then they are in big problem they have not the money to sustain their families they don't feel happy either they're stressed out so you really need to do it in a yes in, in a learning zone a stretch somewhere in a panic zone I like that yeah. and that's important mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense and um, you're right everything when you take a risk to go out of your comfort zone it should be a calculated risk not a yeah. um, what's the word I'm looking for irrational decision yeah. based on emotion Exactly, exactly. Because then we will have a lot of frustrated social entrepreneurs. So that's <laughs> yeah. why you have to be courageous and uh, responsible. <laughs> Absolutely. But and I just like the way you, you acknowledge mindsets. You know, we have mindsets today about business entrepreneurship, which is really founded and, and nurtured from our current monetary system. And how do you really shift that over? Um, and you're talking about these comfort zones and I feel like the way you're breaking it down is helpful for people to see like where they are and where they need to go. Um, so it's a little more digestible. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. So let's dive into a little bit more about the, you know, education. The Amani Institute is providing students. Uh, we've obviously been touching on some of the, the ideas and concepts and things like that. But you really focus on a world that has no boundaries. And as uh, an activist for a number of things, <laughs> I love hearing that. I love the idea of a world with no boundaries. I love the idea, if you're familiar with the overview effect um, that astronauts mm -hmm. have when they see uh, Earth from yeah. space the first time. And, you know, there's a guy that I have uh, read up on. His name is Jacques Fresco. He's a futurist, an engineer, and a social uh, behavior expert. 
And he has come up with a theory saying if we want to get rid of war and poverty and all these things, we have to look at the world with no boundaries and basically identify all the world's resources as a common heritage and start working together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just in line when I see what you guys are saying. Let's let's think without band- boundaries. So can you talk a little bit um, to us about yes. how you guys are pursuing that and why that's important to you? So what exactly does that mean and, and, and why is it important to you? Yeah, that's great. And actually, at the beginning, when we started Amani, we were talking about war without boundaries. And now we are talking about war beyond boundaries. So we acknowledge that there are some boundaries, but that doesn't mean that we need to be stopped by them. And I think that's that's an important thing of acknowledging there is something there, but uh, going through them or, or pass through them, right? Yeah. And, and we believe in, in, in many no boundaries. <laughs> so we believe that there is, should not be boundaries or you have to go beyond boundaries between you and others. And that's around empathy. Mm-hmm. We believe that also with the world. So understanding that whatever you're doing will definitely impact the way we are living. We should not be boundaries in education. So why having a classroom, right? So the world should be our, our classroom. Yes. Uh, so why boundaries between classroom and real life? Uh, there should not be boundaries between problems. Sometimes we try to solve a, a specific problem, but actually it's linked to many other ones. So that's why the systemic view is important. Yeah. We believe there should not be boundaries between religion, between nationalities, between personalities. So we need to actually learn and, and be wise enough to work together because if we go beyond that boundaries, we will find a new level of knowledge, of, of wisdom, of action, so all what we are doing is actually that. So we, we believe that if we start thinking with a new mindset, with going beyond boundaries, our perception of how we find solutions is totally different because we are, we are out of different boxes of silos. Yes. And even across uh, disciplines, right, like engineering, agriculture, medicine, all these come up together because we are all solving the same problems. Um, so boundaries, I think, really is harming us a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do see that. And I mean, it, and, and, and those boundaries, though, are not just, I mean, yes, it is the divides between countries and things like that. But are those boundaries also acknowledging the big players such as political dogma or, or, or religion and things like that? Are, are those boundaries as well? The, you have the visible boundaries, which we could see through mm-hmm. our maps, but then you have the invisible boundaries. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah completely. And I, and I even seen that the map are invisible boundaries. I mean, when the earth was created, uh, there were no boundaries, right? I mean, we creating and it's an imagination. We just draw a line in the map. Right. So even those are created, our imaginary boundaries that right. we all decided to believe on them. Yes. Yeah, well, it's true, right? We just make things up and, you know, a lot of things are like that too. So even outside yeah. of these boundaries, we made up even the idea of like if we, I was listening to um, an economist talk about our current economic system and they were saying how, you know, at this point, the problem is that we don't tie it to the reality of our resources and the world. So if we have a system that says you have to sell as much as you can to make more money, which makes our economy good, then we'll do anything, obviously, which may be ethically right or not to just sell mm-hmm. abundance, which means I don't care how many resources I use. I just got to keep using as many as possible. And then the outcomes of how it hurts people or environment is not even considered because it's not part of the model. Um, exactly. So, you know, I find that to be one of the most 
frustrating things. And I mm-hmm. think with what you guys are doing with social entrepreneurship and what we're trying to help encourage people with is to to think through the full the full impact of what you're doing. So not just exactly. it's my business, I'm making money, it's here's my business and I will sustain myself with this monetary income. But at the same time, I know it's going to impact these people positively. It's going to be using sustainable resources. So the full circle is considered. And this way, if you do consume and do a lot, you're actually just improving your positive impact. Exactly. And I really feel, I mean, it's time someone asked me for a career coaching, like, what do I do? I am in this job. I don't like it. And I tell them, I mean, you can't imagine how nice it is to wake up each day at your home and go to work to a place that you feel that you are actually contribute not to a donor of a company, but to someone bigger than that, to a, something that, that you will have a legacy in this world, something that will make better for your grandchildren, for your children. And you can see how, how the eyes change in the people. I mean, they see like, yes, I, I do want that. I mean, why do you want to work in a company that is only selling more of the same, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. It is, and, you know, and that's, so who do you see, I guess I'm curious then, uh, my first question would be, for the Amani Institute, are people flying in internationally to attend the school or do you find that it's mostly locals? I know Nairobi, Kenya is very popular with social entrepreneurship. Is it the local audience that is now trying to you know, take their careers to the next level or is it international as well? So uh, normally we have a 50% locals, meaning Brazilians and Kenyans, and a 50% internationals. Okay. And that 50% internationals come from more than 35 different countries. So really from all over the globe. And, um, and they are coming to these locations, uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Nairobi, Kenya, because they understand that uh, they want to learn through action. So understanding what's going on in the field, right? What are certain entrepreneurs are doing? What are the problems that we're living? And they want to learn by practice. I mean, they want to put the tools into practice, not just in theory, in a modern campus, through a PowerPoint, but actually really understanding. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a difference. I mean, how are you going to talk about poverty in a big campus, in a classroom, through a PowerPoint, when you can talk about poverty going to a slump in Kenya or a favela in Sao Paulo, right? It's totally yeah. different experience. I'm curious, do you, what would you say, um, I guess, do, what's the mindset of people, who, if they're willing to fly out there and they're going to really engulf, change their life, they have to basically uproot their current work, I assume, obviously, because it's, mm-hmm. it's a 10-month program, is that, do I remember that correctly? So the program is 10 months, but you need to relocate for four months only. Okay, okay. So for four months, you need to be living in Sao Paulo or in Nairobi. And that's for the hands-on experience. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And so when people are, are um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, uh, so, <laughs> I've lost my words. When they're coming to your school and they're um, uh, signing up, I guess. Is yeah. The word? Yeah. 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 Registering. They register for the Amani Institute. That's what I want. Um, when they're doing that, do, what's, what is their current, I guess, are, are they people who are frustrated with, are they coming out of college? Um, who are these people and, and why are they already in a place where they're making such a big commitment to this? Like what, what got them there commonly? Is there any, anything I, common yeah. there? I, I love that question. So I would say that we have um, four different types of people that are coming to money, and we actually want all of them always in our cohorts. Yeah. So one is recent graduates. 
that is this new generation that they already know that they want to work with purpose and with impact in the world. They just out of uh, university, they are not able to get a job in the social change field because they don't have the right skills, they don't have the connection, they don't know how to do it. So they're coming for money. So that's one, one public. So that they're like in their 25 around, let's say, between 23, 25, 26. Yeah. Then we have a second group of people that is people that is already social entrepreneurs. They've been doing their own business with social impact, but they need support, they need network, they need new tools, they need to increase their leadership, communication, creativity. So they are coming to money. Mm-hmm. Then we have a third group that is people working in the social change field, but in a more traditional way. So I would say more NGOs, foundations, and they're missing innovation. They're, this group feels a bit frustrated that they feel that what they're doing is not really changing things. So they want new methodologies, new networks. And the final one is people that is also frustrated with the world, but also they have hope. There is people that is coming from the private sector. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of people coming from communication, marketing, PR, also finance, administration, banking, and normal corporates, big corporates. And uh, they want to keep doing what they're doing, but uh, with purpose, with impact. So, so they want to resignify their skills into something different. Right. So we have these four different groups. I would say the first two ones, the young professionals, the social entrepreneurs, are fully hopeful. Uh, they just want more. And the two other ones are a bit frustrated with the current world, but they have hope that that can change. Yeah, I like that. That's a good breakout. So, and I've, I've noticed that too. There's definitely a number of different groups. So you've kind of identified different mindsets for people. Um, and I wonder if it's easier too for recent graduates to pursue this stuff versus the, the frustrated folks. Do you feel like they're more uh, the younger folks who haven't already had a career with, with dollars tied to it, that they're more um, inspired or willing to take this path than the others? I don't think so. I think both are in, in, in the same level because the people that, as I said before, they're frustrated, but they have hope, right? Yeah. And because they are so frustrated, they have the strength to make the change. Mm-hmm. While the young people still can be cultivative and model, right? They're still being offered traditional jobs. Their families are still pushing them to follow a traditional career. So I think that both groups have forces against and in favor of this change. Right, right. Okay. And, and so now that you guys have been working for a while with students, um, how, has your, how has your response been from the students who have completed your programs and stuff like that? How, how have you guys maybe, have you guys evolved over the years, your program offering t- based on student feedback? And, and I guess I'm just curious on how things are going and, and what directions might have you know, changed over time. Yes. I mean, unfortunately, we are a very innovative organization. So we are changing the program every year yeah. and adding new components And uh, because we, we really took very seriously and take very seriously the feedback from our fellows. Mm-hmm. So every year we are changing things, changing professors, changing the structure, adding new elements, adding new classes. And, and that's important for us because we are leading with example, right? So, so something our state are fixed because we have proven and they work, but always like a 20, 30% is changing. And, and we like that. Uh, that's unfortunate because we need to change the website every year. We need to change the brochures <laughs> every year. So there is a lot of things logistic behind that. But it doesn't matter. We believe that it's still worth it. 
And, and the response is very good. I mean, when people ask me, like, so what is your, your retention rate? Like, how many people drop off? And we say, like, I don't know, I think that only 0.01% drop off, like only one or two people in our history. And that's very low for an education institution. Normally, education institutions have like a 30% drop off rate. Yeah. And we have nothing related to that. So that really speaks of the quality and the commitment of the people that come to the program. Wow, that's great. And, and is there any numbers or success rates for those who complete the program um, with either joining another program for a career or starting their own business successfully? Um, how, or do they start building a business during your program that they then just mm. go off on their own way once they, they graduate? Yeah, so we have some of them are entrepreneurs already. So what they do is accelerate the project and themselves through our money. Yeah. So that's normally very successful. Then we have many people that start new ideas during the program. I would say that half of them continue them and half of them decided that it's not for them to start something new and they find a, a job in the social change field. Yeah. And then many of them already have a job in the social change field. So they just continued it, but in a, in a much better way, a much more... Um, equipped with more qualities and, and skills. And then we have people that go and find jobs. And we have a very good rate at that and finding new jobs. So I would say that normally, so how we measure is that we try to see how many of our graduates are living a life of meaning and impact. Yeah. And that means that they're actually aligned with themselves and doing a social impact in the world. And I don't have the, uh, the, the final number from last year, but uh, up to 2016, more than 70-80% were doing that. Wow. So it's really high. Yeah, that's great. That's exciting. So, so we are happy, but of course, we are always having this, I don't know, 20, 30% that we still want to improve. So we are all still working on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I guess I can understand it's never going to, it may not be a hundred percent, but you're, you have a really high uh, success rate, which is, I, I would think is really exciting for you guys. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. I mean, we, we work hard. We love what we are doing. And I think that reflects on the results. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. Um, so, well, and I think it's great that you guys constantly innovate and you take feedback and you evolve. I think any process like this has to constantly evolve. And to your point earlier about technology, um, you know, anybody that understands Moore's law and how technology is compounding its change year over year, well, there's going to be a lot to consider on how we can help social entrepreneurs and the tools they can use and all those types of things. So there's definitely going to be parts that have to constantly change. So I think it's smart yes. for you guys to always evolve to adopt those best practices and things like that. Thank you, Adam. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, well, I want to be respectful of your time. And I thought this was a really great and uh, interesting conversation. I love hearing your perspectives. The last thing I wanted to ask you is just where you see the future of um, you know the Amani Institute, I, I did read that you're looking to not necessarily become the big university, but you want to help other uh, schools adopt these types of practices and um, you know mindsets for for nurturing social entrepreneurship. Yes, exactly. So we believe that our mission should be to stop existing in the future. <laughs> that what we are advocating today, this education to build professionals that wants to live a life of meaning and impact should be the norm. So when that's the norm, we will just close our doors and do something different. Right. Uh, so in order to do that, what we need is to um, inspire different institutions, universities, foundations, NGOs, companies 
to adopt this methodology of training and philosophy of training. And that's what we are doing. That's why we have a center, a training center in Nairobi in Africa. One is in Pablo, Brazil. The next one coming in Asia, India. Because we believe that regionally it's, it's easier to inspire people. And uh, because each region has their own particularities, so that's important yeah. than just doing it from one center. So now I would say that we are in our second phase of scaling, so through regions. And when that is more solid, then we are going to be able to scale inside the regions gotcha. through different organizations. Yeah. Amazing. Love it. Well, um, I love everything you guys are doing. So I really appreciate you jumping on the line to just talk through it and share your story and vision um, with everybody else who's listening. Um, I just want to give you a chance now to tell people where they can find you guys, how they can learn more and, and stuff like that. So if you want to give Amani Institute a quick shout out and any other updates that you have, um, yes. that would be a good time. Thank you, Adam. Well, first, let me thank you, uh, not only for this time and space, but also for, for the magazine you're bringing into life. I think that it's going to be an extremely important resource for the sector. Thank and you. that we need more of that. So thank you. <laughs> Deeply thank you. Absolutely. And in regards to Amani, and so we can, you can always find us online. So we have a website that you just need to write uh, www.com amani institute that means it will go with two eyes amani institute.org you can also find us on facebook just type amani institute on facebook we also have we are also on twitter amani inst you can find us there and and if you want to ask any question please send us an email to info at amani institute.org and just to give you uh, a call to action, if you are looking forward to really build a career of meaning and impact or accelerate your career in meaning and impact, you want to be a social entrepreneur or an innovator with social impact. And we are opening registrations now for our next uh, social innovation management program that starts February 1st. So please just go to our website, uh, go into the social innovation management program and register there. The registration process is easy. The application, I mean, is easy. To get selected is not that easy because we receive more than 400 applications from all the world and we only select 40 fellows to join us. But if you are the right person, you will get selected. So you're invited. And again, if you have any questions, info at amaninstitute.org. Awesome. That is wonderful. And um, I, I, I'm just curious, you mentioned that certain people are selected. Are there certain qualifications people should be aware of when they're registering for something like this? Yes. So the main qualification, the formal one, is that you have to have a, at least an undergrad degree or at least four years of minimum full experience in the private or social sector. It doesn't matter. Got it. Okay. And, uh, and then we will select according to our five values of vision, courage, empathy, change-making, and global mindset. You don't need to have them already, but the potential and the willingness to develop them. I love it. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And if you ever need anything, um, let's stay in touch and you know how to reach me. Thank you, Adam. Thanks a lot again for the time, for, for, for your vision, for your venture. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that very much. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye-bye. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play. Or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast.